to study the Word of God. The Word of God. That, that song you just heard, I don't know if you heard it, but River of Life. Uh, hold on to that thought. We're going to be talking a little bit about water and satisfaction. Uh, we hunger and thirst for Jesus. Some of that's in our text today. We've been looking at John 7 for a, a few weeks. Last week we had a, a guest speaker, but and uh, I've been just reading it, studying it, praying, reading it, studying it, praying. I hope you have opportunity uh, to read it and study it and pray with me. You know, let me highly recommend that, by the way. Uh, you, you know, next week we're planning to read Psalm, guess what, 101, yes, um, numerical order. So seriously, take some time to read it ahead of time before you come to church. And then read the text of Scripture, pray over it. You will be blessed. The Lord will open up your heart and mind even more uh, as you spend a little time in the Word of God. I highly recommend it. And uh, it really strikes me, last chapter, 6, is an epic, awesome passage, 71 verses. And it's a big interaction with Jesus and the public, a lot of whom, a lot of whom her had already expressed their opposition to Jesus. They didn't like him. In fact, early on, they decided they were going to kill him. Uh, you know, they decided real early they were going to kill him. Uh, it wasn't something they cooked up in the last week. It, it was two and a half years in the works. Uh, they hated him for a long time. And in chapter 6, they, they bring, uh, I, I talked about the cycles of the conversation and I, I counted five or six cycles in the conversation in chapter 6. And there they bring a pointed question to Jesus, and then he responds to it in his own wonderful way. Chapter 7 perhaps is logically after that. Um, it certainly obviously is in the book it's after that. But chapter 7 is interesting because it, it's also... A conversation in a way, but it's so typical of many life conversations that you and I have. You know, maybe we started out actually talking to each other, chapter 6, and never communicating, chapter 6. <laughs> but in chapter 7, they've actually given up actually talking to Jesus. They're sort of off this way, talking all about him, and then he's responding uh, in, in wonderful, amazing ways that we're going to look at today. They're talking all around him, all about him, but they never come to him. There's a great biblical principle, and it is that when you have a question, an issue, or even an offense against somebody, let's say John Doe, Guess what Jesus says to do? You, when John Doe, you have a question about him, or he's offended you, or you think maybe he's made a mistake, uh, Jesus says, well, when John Doe does that, you go talk to Tom, Dick, and Harry about it. And you, you actually confess John Doe's sin to Tom, Dick, and Harry. No, no, does that sound right to you? <laughs> Please, throw some hymn books at me. <laughs> no, Jesus has this radical idea that when John Doe has offended me, I go to John Doe. <laughs> oh, that's a you know, brilliant, wonderful idea. And that's kind of in the background of John chapter 7 as well. Um, my title is Confusion or Clarity. Confusion or Clarity. Satan works with confusion. God works with clarity. Satan speaks in confusion to create confusion. God speaks with clarity to create clarity. That's the contrast. Today, I, I'm not going to say put my life in the hands of my 17-year-old son, but he's learning how to drive, <laughs> and he drove us to church today. Uh, he's, he's driving a lot for me. It's kind of nice to have a chauffeur. Um, he's doing really well. 
But, but this morning was one of those typical Monterey Bay mornings where uh, a couple of blocks from our house, the fog appeared, right? And uh, it's, it's difficult. And when we got out of the car, uh, there was uh, tons of water on the windshield and fog on the inside. It was, the lack of clarity was clearly evident, right? It was definitely a time to be confused. In fact, I said, now, if you can't see, <laughs> I, I say quietly and gently, you can go ahead and stop, right? You can go ahead and pull over if you cannot see. <laughs> Which is a really good idea, because I remember actually, I don't know, Annalisa, might, you might have been involved with this, a uh, number of years ago. I don't think I was around, uh, but uh, my family was going off on some little, little adventure or something, and they left our house, and there were two cars involved, and it was this kind of a weird, foggy day. And it's, I think it was one of those times where there's thick fog and then bright sunlight kind of shining through the fog. Visibility, zero, right? So the driver of the first car decided to stop in the middle of the road. Okay? Uh, I don't know who this driver was. I really don't. But let's just say this. The first car collected the second car. <laughs> yes, two of our cars had a collision in the middle of our street. You remember that, Annalisa? You don't remember that? Let's see, it goes, goes back a, a few years, yeah. Confusion. Confusion is a, is a, is a deadly problem. Uh, God is not, this is 1 Corinthians 14, 33. I, I went to a little Christian uh, day school when I was a kid, and I, I remember my teacher, when, when the kids would all get cutting up and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, she would wonderfully bellow out, God is not the author of confusion. <laughs> uh, you ever heard that? Anybody heard that? Yeah. That was a, that's a great one. And that's the King James version of it. God is not the author of confusion. It's 1 Corinthians 14, 33. Uh, probably a better translation of it is this. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. But of peace. There's a contrast in this verse between confusion and peace. Now, just take this with you. Satan wants you confused. And you know what? You want you confused. And you know what? The world wants you confused. Because then you will do what God does not want you to do. And even you want... I, oh, I'm, you know, I've, I've heard this in counseling. I'm so confused. You know... He says he loves me. I'm so confused. You know, you want to lovingly scream, you know, get some clarity here, right? Look at the facts. Don't any of you want to lovingly scream that? Okay. I felt alone there for a moment. Get some clarity if you have to pull over. And if you stop, it's better not to stop in the middle of the road. <laughs> Let's have some clarity here. God is not, this is 1 Corinthians 14, 33. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now, I'm blessed to uh, preach to a lot of linguists. And some of you are being paid by Uncle Sam to become linguists. And I think that's pretty exciting. In fact, I've come up with a, a mantra about that, right? And that is, I think every Christian should be a linguist. You know, we should all be into language. Why? Because guess what? God spoke in language. He created us to manipulate symbols that have meaning, that communicate truth. Can I get a hallelujah here? You know, it's exciting. It's the word. God didn't give Jesus at the wrong time. Oh, you know, God, if you had waited till, uh, till Steve Jobs existed, Jesus could have been using the iPhone, you know. And he, he could have been on video, you know. He could, have, he could have dominated YouTube, God. You know, obviously he didn't know what was coming. <laughs> no, all of that is totally wrong. He came as, in, as the word of God, glorious, wonderful thing. So we should all be linguists. And this word confusion, before you get confused, please don't get confused, uh, is five times in the Bible. And it's, a, it's one of those kind of fun Greek words. You've heard of the word Anastasia. I have a niece, Anastasia. 
sometimes mispronounced Anastasia, something like that. Uh, what does Anastasia mean? Anybody got it? Okay, it means resurrection. Resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Anastasia Zoe. Okay? There's going to be a test on this. <laughs> Anastasia. And it's very simple. Ana, in this sense, means uh, again. And the Greek word stasia is from istemi, which means to stand. So resurrection means to stand again. Satan says, I thought we had him down. But no, he stands again. Iste me. Uh, glorious, useful word in the Greek. Stekita, stand firm. And, and this word uh, has that same root. It's a, kata, and then iste me, which is against according to what stands. So it's it's knocking things over. <laughs> it's making confusion. Uh, it's, it's instability. Confusion. Well, you just don't know who to believe. You know, preacher A says this, preacher B says that. That religion says this, that religion says that. So the conclusion is, well, maybe they're all right. <laughs> no, that's confusion. It's instability. Hence, and this is from the uh, Greek dic dictionary, hence an unsettled state, disorder. God is not the, a God of confusion, but of peace, of shalom, a Hebrew word, erene in Greek, meaning uh, wholeness and that which fits together. It makes sense. You know, there's something predictable and good about this. So, akatastasia means against what stands. Disorder, commotion, tumult, sedition. And that's what we find in this John chapter 7. Let me read a little bit. This is from a, a good theologian named uh, Grudem, Wayne Grudem. He says this about this particular word, uh, confusion as opposed to peace, commenting on our verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 14.33. Peace, or order, in 1 Corinthians 14.33, Paul says, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Although peace and order have not traditionally been classified as attributes of God, Paul here indicates another quality that we should think of as a distinct attribute of God. See, God's never confused. That's kind of a cool idea, isn't it? You and I are confused all the time. I, I get confused constantly. What happened? Right? What? You know, I, I, I'm a coffee drinker, and it's one of my morning rituals, right, to brew the coffee. And every once in a while, I set it all up, leave the room, and come back and find the coffee all over the floor. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> you know, there's a failure in the system. It's all, and it's always a grief. It's like, wow, that was good coffee. You have to have a little service here. <laughs> Wipe it up with the paper towels. But God's never confused. That's why you want to be more into God and know him and trust him because you can trust him. It's, he, it's, a very, it's an attribute of God. Paul says that God's actions are characterized by peace and not by disorder. This Greek word, akatastasia, I'm not pronouncing it correctly, but that's phonetic. This word, it's a word meaning disorder, confusion, unrest. God himself is the God of peace. And then he has a bunch of references here. Uh, but those who walk in wickedness do not have peace. See, the more you decide to allow yourself to be confused, and, and ignore the clarity of God's word. The more you decide you're going to go that way, you're going to have less peace. Things will not make sense. Predictability will be lowered, and it is the way of suffering and death. The Bible says it's the way of destruction. 
Remember, Jesus said something really profound about that, too. He said, the, the way of life is narrow and hard, but the way of destruction is broad. Broad is the way. It's the default mode of all of us human beings. We're naturally tripping down the road to destruction. We need intervention from God. We need his power to overcome our innate wickedness. But those who walk in wickedness do not have peace. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There is, that's awesome, isn't it? That's, I think that's Isaiah 48, 22. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. And one last reference on this. Confusion or clarity. This is James 3.16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder. And every vile practice. That word disorder is the same word akatastasia. Uh, so now what I want to do with you this morning is to take a look, kind of a broad look, uh, at chapter 7. I'm going to start reading in verse 10. Some of this we've already looked at uh, uh, in previous sermons. And we're going to uh, try to kind of sum it up and take a kind of a broad view of this entire chapter. And it, hopefully it won't be too confusing. Now let's pray to that end right now. Father, it's just a joy and a privilege to be here at all, to sing your praises. Uh, thank you for the glorious worship music in Christ alone and uh, all the good, good words we sang. Lord, open our hearts to hear now your word. Uh, through the preaching of your word, we, we need your voice. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Speak to us, we pray, in your precious word, which is your inerrant, inspired word. And as we look through uh, John 7, Lord, I do pray that, there will, that clarity will outshine confusion through Jesus and for the glory of God, I pray. Amen. Okay, so this is John chapter 7. If, you have, if there's a pew Bible in front of you, if you don't have it, I'm going to try to read it without a lot of uh, commenting, and then I'll make comments later. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. I'm not going to interrupt too much, but I want to interrupt right now. I put a star in the margin there by verse 17. I've got special stars in my Bible. I don't like to mark my Bible too much. But 17, 24, 28, and 37. So those are like the bright, shining, clarity verses in the midst of some confusion. Has not, this is verse 19, Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon! Who is seeking to kill you? It's totally ridiculously ironic because they knew very well who was seeking to kill him. For example, look up at verse 25. Look down. I'm, anyway, whatever. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? It was public knowledge. 
And so these people are going, oh, you have a demon. They're all phony in their righteous indignation. Verse 21, Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, uh, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well. And here's this, the second star. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Verse 25, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, this is my third star, so Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, you know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one had, no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. <laughs> Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go? That we will not find him. Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and <laughs> teach the Greeks? <laughs> I think that's uh, being cynical there. Possibly. What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? So just pause for a second here. Just notice the pattern, like I said. He's proclaiming publicly, he's right there, and then they're muttering and complaining and coming up with all these weird theories about him, but they don't come to him and talk to him. They're talking to Tom, Dick, and Harry and avoiding Jesus Christ. Okay, so um, verse 37, getting close to the end here. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was. So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests. Remember, these are the guys that were sent out to arrest Jesus. The officers, they come back to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, oh, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? 
have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? You know, come on, guys, look at us. None of us believe him. <laughs> but the crowd that does not know the law is accursed. You might ask, well, who was supposed to teach the crowd the law? Oh, it was the Pharisees and the scribes. Yeah, kind of. Okay, but remember Nicodemus. He was one of the Pharisees. He was one of the crowd. He was one of the guys. So when they say, have, have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him, there's Nicodemus thinking, uh, yeah, yeah kind of me, still kind of hiding. But Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? You know, like, shouldn't we go to John Doe? <laughs> Let's bring our issues to John and see what John says. No, 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 that's, that's too, that's too clear, clear. We like confusion. In fact, that's how they, 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 res they respond. No, 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 no. We're not going to talk to him. We're going to argue about Galilee. <laughs> Let's obfuscate. The obfuscation of his opponents. The obfuscate means to get people confused and hide from reality by getting off on different issues. And that's what they say in verse 52. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Which is ridiculous because Jonah, Nahum, and a couple of other prophets did come from Galilee, okay? Which they knew very well as they're great Bible students. But anything to get Jesus. So that's our text for today. Let's look at this together. I, I'm going to take it uh, you know, really clearly, hopefully. First of all, Satan works with confusion. You see Satan in this chapter very clearly working. The, our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil love to get you confused and love to make you think that you, you're in the fog, you might as well walk this way or that. Go turn to your right or to your left. It doesn't matter. But God works with clarity. God speaks in clarity. Here I put it all on one slide. This is an analysis of the confusion in this passage. Satan works with confusion. First of all, the chapter started out with his brothers, and they seemed to want him to be popular. Remember, we talked about that in the first paragraph. His brothers of Jesus say, come on, go to, down to Jerusalem and uh, show yourself there. We, we want you to, if you want a following, you're going to get it down there. But they really don't believe in him. They're really pushing him into danger. Verse 12, the crowd speculates over who he is. They, some of them said, well... He's a good man, see verse 12. Others say, no, 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 he's misleading the people. Noticing in verse 12, they're muttering about him. There's this great muttering about him. Not going to him and asking him, but just muttering about him. Verse 15, questions about uh, his. I left off the H. You have to provide your own H's from here on out. <laughs> his education, it's uh, English, anglicized. <laughs> A question about his education. They're, they say, well, you know, where, where's his degree? Where, where did he go to school? I mean, obviously, he can't compete with the real intellectuals of our day. They're the Pharisees and the scribes. Um, that's, see, in verse 15. Does, does he come from Harvard? Is he coming from a top 10 uh, Ivory, Ivory Coast? <laughs> Ivy League school. You know, where's his PhD from? We, we, can we really trust him? Is his appeal to education and authority then in verse 20 they just say well he has a demon straight out uh, attacking his character questioning him maybe he's got satan working for him with him maybe he's possessed by satan and then look at verse 27 this we get into misinformation it's it's wonderful and kind of weird verse 27 we know where this man comes from. And, and I guess they think he came from Galilee at this point. He's from Nazareth. Jesus the Nazarene, right? We, we know he actually was born in Bethlehem, right? We, we know that. But they're thinking that we know where he comes from. And, but look what they say here. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. 
Now, if you're a Bible student, you've got to go, huh? <laughs> Where is that in the Bible? There's this big group of people. They just, they just know this. They didn't question it. They didn't think about it. Uh, they just know it. It turns out there's this popular um, theology running around. This is from A.T. Robertson. He says, this is a piece of popular theology. You know, <laughs> watch that. <laughs> watch popular stuff. You know, do your work. Check the sources. Check their citations. Where, where are they getting this stuff? This is a piece of popular theology. And here's a quote from uh, the writings from the rabbis of this century. Three things, it's very, it sounds very Jewish too, by the way. Three things come wholly unexpected. Messiah, a godsend, and a scorpion. <laughs> he said, okay, there, there you go. <laughs> the Messiah comes wholly unexpected. The Messiah, a godsend, or a scorpion. The rulers knew the birthplace to be Bethlehem, but some even expected the Messiah to drop suddenly from the skies as Satan proposed to Jesus to fall down from the pinnacle of the temple. The Jews generally expected a sudden emergence of the Messiah from concealment with, a, with an anointing of Elijah. Okay? Now, the Jewish faith is highly encrusted. You know, if you go out to the Monterey Bay, you take a dive down on the pillars of, of the Fisherman's Wharf, those pillars are probably encrusted. They have um, barnacles all over them, right? And if you have a boat in the water for a long time, the barnacles take up residence uh, on, on your boat. You gotta clean it off, you gotta scrape it off. And God gave uh, the word to Israel, but they started growing barnacles, lots and lots of barnacles. And just because it's from a Jewish source, watch out for it. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the truth. And here's a great example of first century Jewish theology that's whacked. It's just wrong. There's nothing in this that's true. But a whole bunch of people had this misinformation about Jesus. We know where he comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. No, no, that's not the case. So that's misinformation. And then verse 32, there, there's more of this muttering going on, this, this sort, sort of gossip. You know, it's not directly talking to John Doe, once again. It's this group, this collection of false things, half true, some true, some false, just this ball of junk that they can discredit Jesus over. And then I have mocking, wild speculation, and racism mixed into the mix. Uh, verse 35, the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks? Okay, you got to understand that this is like uh, a very charged racial epithet that you can imagine some in the English language which will go unmentioned. But they, they're really just showing, they're playing the race card here. You know, he's going to go out and do the thing with the Greeks. You know, obviously he's, a, he's worthless and horrible because he's playing with us, threatening to go off somewhere where we won't know where he's going. So they're playing the race card against him wild speculation, and I think there's definitely a big tone of mocking in verse 35. Then look at 41 through 42. The, the, these are the, is this 10 layers of confusion? I think so. Um, here we got more misinformation. More misinformation. Look at the misinformation. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? You know, you idiot. No, the Christ isn't going to come from Galilee. He's supposed to come from Bethlehem. Everybody knows that. Okay, so what's wrong with that sentence? He is from Bethlehem. It's like, yes, you're right. He's not supposed to come from Galilee. He is from Bethlehem. But they don't want to go ask John Doe about this situation. They don't want to talk to Jesus himself. They don't want to go to the source and seek the truth. They want to continue in confusion. And that really is 
very powerful in this text. And then look at verse 48. It's, it's a kind of a raw, this logical fallacies, a raw appeal to authority. The, these, these guys, I wanted to call them the Keystone Cops, but uh, actually they come out sounding pretty smart in this passage of Scripture. The, the officers are sent out by the scribes and Pharisees to go arrest Jesus. Uh, they go and they, they, they talk to him and they listen. They listen to Jesus. And remember what they, they said when they came back. The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. Clarity. You, you not, that's an understatement. <laughs> he is the very word of God. And see, so in uh, verse 48, it's just kind of raw appeal to authority to these officers. The Pharisees answered, have you also been deceived? You, know, you lowly ignoramus. Uh, you guys have been deceived by him too. And then like, they puff out their chest, have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? You know, this raw appeal to authority. Uh, do, do, you know, in the academy, the people teaching, the professors, the PhDs, the, the power brokers, the people with the money, the, the you know, Steve Jobs and company, the Bill Moyers and company, the, the people who have influence. Do they believe in Jesus? Obviously not. They believe the Bible is a, a, a myth, a complete myth. So you're, you're way off. You just fell off the banana boat. You know, you, you are nothing. In fact, this crowd, verse 49, this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. This raw, this ugly. You know, when it gets down to, I can't deal with the truth, well, I'm just going to say, well, you know, the authorities don't believe that stuff. Those influential people in our society, they don't believe it. So you must be some sort of, of low life that you believe it. And then I think verse 52 kind of caps it, right? It's the last verse, except for 53. Um, they replied, are you from Galilee too? They're talking to Nicodemus, one of them, one of their guys. You know, their response could have been, you know, Nic Nicodemus, you, you do have a point there. Maybe we should go talk to Jesus. <laughs> maybe we should ask him, where were you born? <laughs> uh, maybe we should ask him, what are you teaching? But they, they don't want to know the truth. The last thing the opposition wants is to know the truth, right? All they want to do is hide from it and stay away from it and deal with it through various confusing arguments. And in this case, are you from Galilee to spit it out? Are you from that loony bin <laughs> Galilee? Years and years ago, I used to talk about Berkeley being Galilee. <laughs> My daughter's a student at Berkeley now. <laughs> you know, it's like, what do we call it? Berserkly, right? It's like, but since the 60s, Pat Torrey, uh, he, he survived that era. He's a Cal grad. <laughs> Barely survived, right, Pat? <laughs> but, you know, th that's kind of the feeling. Like, what, you, you know, you're, you're, you're crazy. You're, you're from that ridiculous, and I, there's a sense of, uh, I call it regional prejudice here, right? Nothing good comes from Galilee, obviously. Oh, what's our regional prejudice? Oh, Christianity, well, that comes from uneducated, toothless, uh, overweight people from a different region <laughs> other than where I'm from. <laughs> Californians, we're, we are big on regional prejudice. You know, we, if you're not from California, we just wonder about you. I mean, you know, I'm being honest here. <laughs> it's like, well, why did you, why, did, why were you born there? You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm mostly kidding. <laughs> so I see myself in this, too. You know, you, you've got to get to the facts, get to the truth. Now, here's some broad uh, statements about this, and then we're going to close it up by looking at some really good stuff here. Uh, and uh, yeah, here's some broad statements. There's a ton of disagreement about Jesus, right? A ton of it. There's many conflicting opinions 
and they're being voiced, right? And these objections and these issues that were brought up against Jesus, he, he does not answer them, basically, does he? He doesn't answer them all one by one. Mostly, he ignores the objections and the questions. Like, he could have just stood up and said, I was born in Bethlehem. I'm not from Galilee. You know, he could have clarified so many of these issues, right? But, and I wonder why he doesn't. I think possibly it is this. Those who brought up these objections were not interested in actual information, nor were they seeking to correct the situation. They just wanted to discredit Jesus and eventually kill him. They're all about hiding from the truth, not seeking it. So these people who, they have an appearance of seeking the truth, they're actually not interested in the truth at all. Their motivation was evil. So answering their questions was a waste of time and energy. Now, this is an important principle. We, you and I don't have the omniscience of Jesus. Yeah, right? He knows everything. He knows what's going on in their mind. But I think there is some cross-reference for us here, too. Uh, sometimes we can be naive. I, I'm particularly very rich in naivete. Um, I kind of think when somebody asks me a question, they're actually seeking an answer. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's probably naive. Sometimes people are seeking an answer. But a lot of times, you, you work up a really great answer, give it to them, and they go, well, I don't believe you. <laughs> I know you're not telling the truth. <laughs> Anybody ever had that experience? Let's just face it. This is, this is humanity. We're looking at fallen, depraved, hell-bound humanity right here, of which we all participate. That's why we sing, oh, Jesus has borne the wrath of God for us. Hallelujah. We want to be saved from our natural propensity toward evil. Um, but, you know, I've, I've walked with some folks through really, really hard situations, uh, like, for example, a divorce situation or something like that. And, and the, the parties of the divorce can be so harsh and horrible and nasty. And, you know, they're, they're in opposition. They, they don't want to know the truth. They don't want to be reconciled. They want a divorce. They want a split. They, they, and like in Jesus' case, they, they didn't want to find out about the Messiah. They want to kill him. That's what the, all this is about. Uh, so we should be careful, and we should want to answer the questions and do the best we can answering them, all the while knowing that there's a spiritual battle going on uh, that we don't always understand. And for ourselves, uh, to find the truth, we must seek it in truth. Your presupposition colors your conclusion. And if you come to Jesus saying, I, I know he's a crock, um, you may come out with that at the end. Of course, the exciting thing is a lot of people have tried that, and he overpowers them anyway. <laughs> Hallelujah. But he says, you must come willing to do the will of the Father. So let's look at this real quick. Then that's the confusing part. Clarity will be a little briefer. Or I don't know, maybe it'll be longer. Um, God works with clarity. God speaks in clarity. And Jesus proclaims the bright truth more clearly. Instead of getting into all the nitty-gritty arguments and confusing misinformation and the racism and the regional prejudice and the, just the hatred and the arrogance of all of his opposition. Instead of getting into that, he rises above it and just instead he just proclaims the bright truth more clearly. And that's, that's a glorious reality. That, you know what we call that? Preaching. He proclaims. He proclaims the truth. You're going to grovel around in the mud. Jesus is going to proclaim the truth. And as I said, I have some stars in the text. Here's one of the stars. God works with clarity. If anyone's will 
is to do God's will. See, this is a presupposition. If I'm willing to submit to God, God, I want to do your will, that's a work of the Holy Spirit in you. If anyone's willing to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. As I said last week, the big word for this is epistemology. And epistemology is the study and philosophy of how we know what we know. Jesus is making an epistemological point here. He's saying, do you want to know what's true? Then start with your heart. You repent. You turn from your sin. Sorry. Sorry. That's, that's, that's it. You come to God and say, God, I'm desperate for you. I'm a sinner. And I need you. That's where we start. With the will. The word repentance is metanoia. Change your mind. Repent before God. That's a point of clarity. Here's another one. God works with clarity. Did you see this in verse 24? In the midst of all this confusion, he calls out for us to be critical thinkers. He's saying, don't, don't just believe all this trash. Check out their sources. Do the research yourself. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Compare what people are saying with God's word. You'll find the truth there. Don't be deceived. Here's a longer one. God works with clarity. So Jesus proclaimed. There's that idea, see? He, he doesn't just, um, excuse me, um, if you had a minute, I'd, I'd like to mention something. You, know, you, might, you, you might want to consider it. You know, sort of a Woody Allen approach to <laughs> proclamation. You know, we don't get that picture of Jesus at all. He, he's, he's a strong communicator. I mean, when he wants to hide, he wants to hide. He does. When he wants to speak, he comes out in the middle of the week, up in the temple, to preach the word of God. That's awesome. He proclaimed, as he taught in the temple... You know me, and it's interesting, there's a question mark in some versions of this. We don't know if he's asking a question or a statement here. But anyway, you know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. Jesus is saying that my teaching is the truth of God, God the Father. We are completely consistent. I'm not making stuff up on my own. This is not a new revelation. This is the oldest truth, which means the only truth that predates creation. It is eternal, as eternal as God is himself. You know, some people say, well, Christianity is a new Western religion. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's the oldest faith in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. It, it is the oldest faith. It's from God himself. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. He's talking to all these Jews. Even in the Jewish religion, because they believe the barnacles and not the word. Let's scrape the barnacles off. I know him, for I come from him. That word is me there. I am from him. I am from him. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he sent me. Points of clarity. God works with clarity. And here it is again. Uh, this is a guy who has a you know, a, a charge against his life. The, all the authorities are going to kill him. You'd think he'd be hiding out in Galilee or something. But on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up. He's a man. He stands. He stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. This is, and amidst all this confusion and lack of clarity, here's the clear thing, pure water. <laughs> you want me? I will meet your thirst. Whoever believes in me, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers, rivers, rivers of living water. I think maybe I'll preach on that next week probably should, right, Tony? Yeah, probably so.
Yeah, I wanted, I have a whole sermon on rivers of life here, but <laughs> some of us want to go home, right? <laughs> Let me conclude. What's, what's one great point here? Listen. Listen. No one ever spoke like this man. Okay, now, dear friend, you may have been ignoring him, but you're alive and well, and you're here today, and I'm saying quit ignoring him. Come to him. Learn. Learn of him. Look at what Nicodemus said. It's so awesome. He's right on point. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, that's John chapter 3. He's the one who came to him at night, and Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That's Nicodemus. He'd gone to him before, and who was one of them said, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? That is what we're called to. That's where clarity is. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for John chapter 7. Thank you for recording so well the mutterings of confusion and the fog which can easily make us slam into the car in front of us. Lord, we pray, though, that we would hear your foghorn, your loud call of clarity, the clarion call of truth that Jesus gives us in this great passage, Lord. Help us to hear him and come to him, uh, each and every one of us today. We all confess we're thirsty, Lord Jesus. We're thirsty. We need you. We want more of you. Please fill us with yourself. You said this is the Holy Spirit. We know that any who are in Christ have the Spirit, but we need to walk by the Spirit. We need more of your Spirit. We need to be filled with you, O Lord. We know this is through abiding in Christ and abiding in his word. So, Father, we pray that we will be people of clarity. Uh, help us, Lord, when we're dealing with people who are using confusion as a, a tool. Help us to know how to help them cut through that confusion to see your eternal truth through Jesus, the light of the world, I pray, amen.